Father, would you meet us this morning through your word, by your spirit, in your community, God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us understand what it means to believe in you, to love you? Would you help us in the areas where we're struggling to get victory because of the faith that you give us? God, we need you to meet us this morning. We ask you to meet us this morning. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to be soft and changed into the image and likeness of your son? Be with us. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. Well, in 1964, Blue Ribbon Sports was a company that gets established. And it was founded by Bill Bauer, who was a track coach, and one of his runners, a guy named Phil Knight. And in the midst of them trying to figure out, man, how do we get our runners to run faster? They develop a shoe specifically for runners. This small little company up in Oregon grows, and in 1971, there are about 50 employees, and they want to rebrand their name because they're about to go international with their company. And Blue Letter Sports, it really doesn't translate into other countries. The idea of a blue ribbon doesn't make much sense to other countries. And so they go, okay, we need to rebrand our name. And so in the midst of their company, Phil comes up with this name. He goes, here's what we're going to call ourselves. We're going to call ourselves Dimension Six. Everybody hates it. And so he listens to his employees, thankfully, and so they don't name the company Dimension Six, but they go, okay, what should we name our company? And nobody can come up with a good name. Like every name's like, ah, I don't like that, I don't like that, until the last minute, because they're up against the deadline with this company to make this soccer shoe internationally, and they say, we got to have a different name. And so in the last hour, one of the employees, his name is Jeff Johnson, he suggests this name. He says, we should call our company Nike. And Nike translates in Greek, victory. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, Nike was the name of the winged goddess of victory. And so they said, okay, we're going to name our, our company Nike. And they kept with that for a while until they officially changed their name in 1978 to Nike. And Nike's vision statement, even to this day, and, and again, vision is supposed to be big, maybe something you can never attain as a company. Nike's vision statement as a company is to do everything possible to expand human potential. Potential, which is interesting. Like, how does a shoe expand human potential or a clothing line expand human potential? But that's kind of what they're after. And the name stuck because it's kind of a sticky name. It's short. It's kind of punchy. And really, it has something to it, this idea of victory. We all want victory as an athlete. And as humans, I would say most of us, like, we want to be victorious. We want to win in certain things in life. We don't want to feel like we're failing and losing. And where we're going to go in the text this morning, where John takes us, he actually uses that same word Nike in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, when he talks about victory and overcoming in this text, and he ties it to our faith. And so where we're going to go as a big idea, if you're writing this down this morning, is this, that victory is based not on the amount of your faith, but on the object of your faith. If we all want victory, and John is tying it to our faith or our belief, it's helpful for us to understand, and we'll have to unpack, that victory is based not on the amount of your faith, but on the object of your faith. And again, some of the context, if you're joining us for the first time in this letter in 1 John, we were sitting around with the other redemption pastors. We do this every week. 
And we do like an hour Bible study together and go like, where do, we, where do we see the text? What are problems? Like we collectively have a voice in the room. And one of our pastors in the room talking about this specific passage, because John doesn't write like Paul does. He doesn't write like kind of real linear and easy to follow. He kind of, he's overlapping things. And we'll see even next week, the last bit of the text is kind of like a junk drawer of stuff that he kind of shoves in at the end. But in this passage, one of our pastors, he made this comment about this, this text that we're reading, these five verses, because it feels like what, what John is doing is he's, he's shrinking the target. The target is love. So if you're a follower of Jesus, love is always the target. Jesus is always the target. He's shrinking the target in the context of where we were last week, meaning love is just not ethereal. Love is the person next to you. Like he's shrinking the target. This is what it means to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So as he's shrinking the target, he's also expanding the vision. He's expanding the vision of what love actually does. Love is actually the way the world changes. Love is actually how we get victory and how we overcome by loving. He's doing that at the same time, even in this text. And I love that idea, and I think it's like, okay, if love is the answer, it's our target closely, but it's also broadly a vision, then, then the question should be like, how do we love? We defined love last week based on the text, but like, uh, John is going to continue down this road. What does it actually look like to love? And in this text, we're going to see we love through our faith or our belief and our obedience, and so what John is doing in this text is he's weaving and he's overlapping these certain things. He's overlapping faith and love and obedience together as indicators of being children of God, of having an assurance of being in the family of God. That's exactly where he's going to go. So we're just going to walk through it verse by verse. Since it's only five verses, we're afforded this. Uh, we don't always get to do this because sometimes it's longer chunks or sections that we're preaching through. But today we're just going to kind of go verse by verse. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, please open it up if it's not already there to 1 John chapter 5 verse 1. Let's walk through it together. Again, verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father uh, whoever has been born of him. So again, let's unpack this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We've said this. It's worth mentioning again. That word believe is not just this mental assent or understanding. It actually means, and maybe it's better translated, entrust or put your confidence, your full confidence in. So it's not just, I believe in Jesus, yes, I know who he is, and I understand that, but it's like how your life changes because you believe in Jesus. And so even if I can say, well, I believe this chair will hold me up, I can say that all day long, but it's not until I put my full weight in the chair am I modeling this entrusting version. And so what John is saying is like, everyone who puts their full trust in Jesus has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Who has been born of him? Those who have believed in him. So the second part of verse 1, again, is clear that if you love the Father, you will love his children. We talked about this last week. I gave this analogy, and I think it's helpful to mention again this idea of like some of us go like, man, I love God, but the church, I just, ah, they're a mess. I don't want anything to do with it. And if we began a relationship and a friendship and we started hanging out all the time and then to you to get to know me is also to get to know my wife. 
And if we're hanging out, the four of us, and like we're, you know, like you're getting to know my wife, and then you come to me later on the side and you go, like, listen, man, I, I really love spending time with you, but your wife is the worst. I can't stand her. Like that would put a strain on our relationship, right? And sometimes that's what we do. We go, man, God, I love you. I want to be connected to you. I want to be close to you. But the church, I can't stand the church. I hate the church, what the church has done to me. And God goes, that's not an option, right? We talked about it last week in the passage. Like if you say you love God, but you hate his kids, God says you are a liar. That doesn't work. It's not optional. And so we have to figure out what does it mean to actually love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. And so again, the question for us is going like, okay, if God is saying this is the standard, if you're going to love me, you also have to love Christians. You have to love people that follow me. Then you go like, well, how do I know if I'm loving my brother or sister in Christ? That's what John is asking. Then he answers it, the second part of the verse. He says, when we love God, and obey his commandments. Loving God and loving his people are connected in obedience to follow what God is telling us to do. Verse 3, as he continues, he says, For this is the love of God, that if we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, uh, I don't know if any of you guys know, my wife and I, we, we do uh, premarital counseling with some couples, and then we do these conferences uh, across the country at times for, for marriages. And uh, do you know what the number one uh, best-selling book on marriages of all time is? Anybody have a guess? Nobody wants to guess, I know. It's actually The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. I don't know if you've heard that book. We use it all the time. We reference it all the time. If you're not familiar with that book, this is just helpful human interaction, whether you're in a relationship or not. It can be uh, for the context of marriage or it can just be in your life. But what Gary says in the book is he gives five different love languages, uh, how we receive love and how we give love. uh, These aren't in any order, but acts of service is one. And so like, man, if you wash my car, if you empty the dishwasher, if we're, we're married together and you do something, man, that makes me feel loved. It makes me feel seen. It makes me feel cared for. Acts of service is one. One is words of affirmation. If you say, great job, man, you're just doing so good, man. It makes me feel loved. It makes me feel seen. It makes me feel cared for. Another one is quality time. If you just spend time with me, not on your phone, quality time, quality time. Like if you spend time with me and we're hanging out together, I feel seen, I feel loved, I feel cared for. Another one is gifts. If you buy something for me, I feel like, man, you, you really care about me. You really see me. You really love me. And then the last one is physical touch. It's non-sexual physical touch. Just if your hand's on my shoulder or, or just a, a light. It makes me feel cared for. It makes me feel seen. And so there, those are the top five. And what he says in the book, again, is you go like, usually the way you receive love is the way you typically give love. And so in the context of marriages, this is very helpful because for my wife and I, do you know what her number one way she receives love is? Is gifts. She feels like when I buy her something, man, he thought of me. He used his money to to buy this for me. He cares about me. Her number one is gifts. You know what my bottom number, my bottom is? My fifth one is gifts. You know what my number one is? The way I feel loved is through quality time. 
when I'm just with her and we just get to hang out together, I feel like, man, I feel seen, I feel cared for, I feel loved. You know what her number five is? Quality time. So early on in her marriage, she's going like, this dude doesn't love me. He doesn't buy me anything. And I'm going like, why don't we spend time together? You keep buying me this stuff. I don't even want this. Like anybody can buy me this. I want to spend time with you. And so we can miss each other all the time in the context of relationship. Again, whether that's marriage or whether that's any type of human interaction, it's helpful for you to know, man, what is my love language? How do I receive love? And then how do I usually give love to other people? When we think of those five, what do you think God's love language is? It's quality time, right? Because that's mine. You know, like, oh, I want to spend time with God. I just want to be with him. But no, outside of that list, what the text is saying, what other places are saying, you know what God's love language is? It's obedience. And not because he's this God that wants to put his thumb down on you and go, you need to obey me because I'm, because he knows if you obey him, you're actually going to live into your humanity. You're going to flourish and he wants the best for you. And so the way you love God is to obey his commandments. Really, John is just echoing the words of Jesus in John 14, 15. When Jesus says, what does he say in John 14, 15? He goes, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The back end of verse 3, and it says, and, this, uh, and his commandments are not burdensome. And again, it feels like John is echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. His commands are not burdensome. I love being in the ocean. And one of the things I love about the ocean is boogie boarding or when I get the opportunity to surf. And like, I can go out into the ocean and when I'm out there, I can fight the waves physically. And that's exhausting because I will lose every single time. But when I allow the waves to carry me on a board in some form or fashion, it's not burdensome. It's light. And some of us go like, following God's commands are so hard. Loving my enemy is so hard. But I think a lot of us are fighting against the waves because we're trying to do God's commandments in our own power. We're trying to go, okay, I got to do it better. And if you're trying to live out God's commandments in your own effort, even if it's good intentions, you will feel like you're lifting something very, very heavy. But it shouldn't feel this way. Again, God is saying, come to me. Jesus is saying, come to me. Let me help you. Let me help you understand what it means to live out obedience in my commandments. Let's keep going. Verse 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And for some of us in our Christian life, man, we're just going like, I don't feel like I'm overcoming. I feel like I keep failing. I keep sinning. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to beat this thing. It feels like it's got me chained down. And for what John is saying, he's like, listen, 
the key, the antidote is not for you to do it in your own effort. The, the key is for you to rely on the Spirit to work in and through you from a place of security, not insecurity. So even for us, it's a good question to go like, man, do the, do the commands of God feel burdensome? Is that because I'm operating out of obedience in my insecurity? Meaning like I have to obey God so he loves me. And if I don't do that, oh, he's going to just shake his head at me and just go, oh. are you obeying from a place of insecurity or are you obeying from a place of security? Because you know who you are. And hopefully in this, what we've been studying in 1 John, if anything, you understand if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that you are a child of his and you're loved by the Father no matter what, that Jesus advocates on your behalf when you mess up, when you sin, and that when the Father looks at you, he looks through the blood of the cross and he sees what he sees in his son Jesus and he loves you. And you have a place of security to operate from. And so if you're operating from that place of security to try and obey God's command to love him, it's a very different experience than if you're operating out of a place of insecurity, going like, man, I hope God loves me today because I do X, Y, and Z. And again, in verse 4, this idea, the second half of the verse, and this is the victory, there's that word Nike, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you want to overcome your sin? Do you want to overcome the areas that you feel stuck in? And all of us have areas that we go, oh, I just don't feel like I'm winning here. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be multiple things. You just go, oh, I just feel like I can't figure this out. And what John is saying, that there's a way to have victory over your sin. There's a way to have victory against the things that are coming against you. How do we do it? What does he say in that back end of the verse? It's our faith. It's tied to believing. It's tied to this idea of faith. Now, this is important for us to run down, like, because this word faith gets used in the Christian uh, culture a lot. And so we need to really define what do we mean? What does John mean when he says that is actually the key to our victory is our faith? Hebrews defines the word faith as confidence and what we hope for, an assurance of things we can't see yet. So then you go, is, it, is faith blind? If you have conversations with non-Christian friends and they go, I can't, like, that's just like, you're just blind faith. You believe in that thing, like Jesus and he rose from the dead? That's crazy. Like, I don't believe that. There's an element of faith that you cannot see, even woven into the definition. But I wouldn't say it's blind faith. And we live this out all the time. We're always trusting in things we can't fully see, whether it's people or certain situations. Every time I fly on an airplane, I step onto the airplane, and I have some type of faith. I have faith that this plane is going to get me where it says it's going to get me in the time. Well, it's never getting me in the time. But, you know, that it's going to actually get me where I need to go. And I, and I can have faith. I can confidently walk onto that big metal tube that's going to take me up in the sky to get me where I'm going. And I don't see the pilot. But I have faith in the pilot. Like, I have faith that that man or that woman that's flying the plane is going to get me where I'm going to go. That's what faith is. We all have faith all the time. But again, even in our context and helpful for us to know, it's not about how much faith you have. It's about the object of your faith. If I go on and, like, 
my son is flying the plane. It's not, that's not, I could have all the faith in the world and it will not work out well. I promise you that won't end well. He doesn't know how to fly a plane, like, but I'm trusting in the pilot. It's the object of your faith that matters, not how much faith you have. I was visiting a friend. Um, this was a track athlete that I used to disciple when he was in college, when we were in student ministry. And great dude. He's from Northern California. Uh, he met a golfer from Wisconsin that brought him to the, the frozen tundra of Wisconsin. And so he moved there. And I was out there visiting him. This was years ago. And I was visiting him in the winter. And he was like, dude, I can't believe I live here because this is crazy. It's like how our summers are. That's how it is up there for the winters. And so I land, and he picks me up, and we're driving to his house, and he's telling me about just how terrible the winters are. And he lives around this lake. It's fairly big. It's not massive, but it's pretty big. And I was like, well, like, how, how cold does it really get? Like, I know, like, the lake freezes over. Like, obviously, you can skate on that. And he goes, oh, you want to know how cold it is? And we're in his truck, and he just starts driving on the lake. And I'm like, every movie in my mind is like flashing. I'm like crawling. I'm trying to like push, you know, like any type of movie where you crash into the ice. And like, I had very, very little faith in that moment. Like it was, I'm going, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And he's just driving. Oh, no, that's fine. And we're just like, you know, doing donuts on the ice. I'm going, what in the world? And he goes, see, it's pretty solid, isn't it? I was like, dude, you're nuts, man. But it didn't matter how much faith I had. It mattered the object of my faith. And that ice was solid as concrete. We weren't going to fall through it. But again, if it was the spring and I had all the faith in the world to go, oh, this ice will hold me, this ice will hold me, and I step out and it's barely frozen, I'm going to fall through. And so sometimes in the Christian uh, subcultures, we go, man, I just need more faith. I wish I had faith like you. I just need more faith. I'm going, you don't need more faith. You need to redirect the object of your faith. My dad, who many of you know, and, and I'm so thankful that some of you that have been praying for my dad, he has Parkinson's disease. And at one point he was an associate pastor. Now he claims uh, a, a, that he's an atheist. But I feel like God is just warming his heart back to himself, which is, is wild to watch and have dialogue with him. But in the midst of that, when he was an associate pastor, he was just in a church that just really had sloppy doctrine. And one of the things was about faith, and they would even use this verse, and it was kind of this name it and claim it theology, that if you have enough faith, it's kind of a, a way to control God. And in the midst of him being in that space, he gets a phone call one day. He's in his 30s. His dad is in his 60s. And he gets a phone call and says, hey, your dad went into the hospital for a regular checkup. And he has stage 4 cancer. It's all over his body. You know what everybody told him in his community? If you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, your dad will be healed. His dad never came out of the hospital, my grandpa. He passed away. So my dad went into this deep spiral, blaming himself, feeling like I didn't have enough faith. I could have saved him. It was all based on his own effort of his faith, not on Jesus and who God is. And this is a very dangerous thing to do. I just need more faith. I just need more faith. No, you don't need more faith. You need to redirect your faith off of yourself and your own efforts and put it squarely on the shoulders of Jesus. 
And this is what John is saying. Like, you want victory to overcome those things that are coming at you. You need to stop trying to do it on your own, in your own power. You need to put it back on the power of Jesus and the spirit that is working in and through you. And as you reposition your faith from yourself and place it squarely on the shoulders of Jesus, you'll start to have victory in areas you go, I could never do this on my own. Let's look at this last verse in this passage as we go, okay, it, 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 to really have victory, it's, it's, it's about understanding the object of my faith is Jesus and not how much faith I have and repositioning that faith to Jesus and not myself. He finishes with this verse in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He's kind of booking, verse 1 is very similar to verse 5. He's kind of bookending these. He's kind of like, listen, if you want to be an overcomer, if you want to know what it looks like to love your brother and sister in Christ, and again, the direct context is this church is splitting because of these false teachers, and he's going, you're still called to love, even in the midst of maybe what they're saying about you, what they're saying about Jesus, you're still called to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's how you do it. You obey God's commands. You don't do it in your own effort. You do it in my effort as you surrender to me, as you have faith, watch what I can do. And this is what he goes after. How do you have victory? You believe. You put your full trust back in the person of Jesus, your full weight in to him. Because some of us, man, again, like we just, all of us in the room, we could pass the mic around and go like, where are you, where do you feel like you're failing? In relationships and certain things, you just go, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. We all have that. When we look at our circumstances and we go, man, the waves are just crashing down on me and I don't know what to do. And it feels like, Jesus, you're just sleeping at the edge of the boat. And I'm going, God, change this, change this, change this. And it's like, it feels like it's just deaf ears. And instead of looking at your circumstances and trying to fix it on your own, keep looking at Jesus. As he wakes up in that story with the disciples on the, on, on the storm, and he wakes up, and what does he say? You don't have faith, you generation. He's just going like, listen, and he just speaks, and the waves stop. Where does that need to happen in your life where you're going, God? Because at least for me, what happens is I'll, I'll start in a right place of faith, and I'll go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to trust you. And then when I get impatient, and then I go, well, you're clearly not answering. Let me grab hold of this because, like, I don't know. Like, and I start trusting in myself instead of going, okay. I trust that you're over the waves crashing in my life. Even if I don't see it, even if I don't understand it, I trust you. You need to believe Put your trust, your full trust, and your weight in Jesus. And this is where it's goofy. This is not about you trying harder. This is about you surrendering deeper. Even in those everyday things in your life that you're waiting for somebody to get back to you on something certain, and you're just like, okay, this person can't get back. I don't know what else to do. You just go, okay, I'm going to stop trying as much, and I'm going to surrender more. And that comes through prayer. One of the stories as we close that's helpful for me, that has helped my heart in this kind of question of like, okay, because Jesus is, again, he doesn't say you have to have a lot of faith. It's faith of a mustard seed. But again, it's the object of your faith. That, that faith is placed in the right place. 
And in Mark chapter 9, you can turn there if you want, if you have a Bible, or you can just follow along on the screen. There's this interaction that's been so helpful for me in this context because I want to go, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And he goes, keep trusting me. Don't do anything. Just keep trusting me by faith in the context of prayer. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. We won't read the whole part of it, but we'll read a section of it. Listen to this interaction, and hopefully it will begin to connect the dots for us of what it means for us to have victory in these areas and where we put our faith. This is Mark 9, starting in verse 14. It says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, talking about Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, why are you arguing? What are you arguing with about them? And someone from the crowd answered them, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down on the ground and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often has cast him into a fire or into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And if you've been around at all with the person of Jesus stuff, you see with this consistent model of love that Jesus does what? He sees, he has compassion, and he acts to help. And this is exactly what this man is asking in this moment. Obviously, he sees his boy and he's saying, would you have compassion? Would you help us? Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And that passage, if you continue to read, Jesus ends up healing the boy. But that's so helpful for my heart because what do I do when I want to have faith if that's the key to victory, to overcoming things I'm fighting my sin in? And it's like, man, I believe, but help my unbelief because your belief actually doesn't even come from you. Your faith doesn't come from you. It actually comes from God. And so the posture of our heart is to go, God, I, I, I believe. I want to believe, but I, I, I can't see it. In my current reality, this doesn't seem to be changing. I believe that you're able to do it, but would you help Help me believe in my own heart. And so this is what's helpful for us in the context of prayer. This is where we need to land in the idea of surrender. How do we access this faith? It's through prayer and surrender and going, God, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. I feel like I keep trying. And he goes, stop trying. Trust me. Keep trusting me. I know God, but I don't see it. He keeps, just keep trusting me. Keep coming to me, keep trusting me, keep asking for faith, and I'll give it to you. So even as we're going to respond this morning, and as we're going to walk down to this table, which is the access point for us in our faith, in our belief, Jesus at the cross that gives us new life, you walk down and you think of that circumstance you're fighting and you keep getting tossed to and fro from the waves, and you go, God, I don't know anymore. And you walk down and you go, I believe Help my unbelief.
as you take a piece of bread, which represents his body given to you, and you dip it in the juice, which represents his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. You go, I believe, help my unbelief. This only comes through prayer. And as you see that passage in nine, you see the end of it. That's what Jesus says. His disciples go on the side and go, how did you do that? He goes, it it comes through prayer. It comes through surrender. It comes through an access point that we don't have on our own. Do you want to be victorious for the things you're struggling with? It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in your own effort. It only happens through the grace of God as we submit and we pray and we go, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's do that this morning. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us? God, we want to trust you to expand our human potential, not a shoe company. And we need your help with that, God. If victory is found in placing our faith in you, sometimes we do it well by your grace, and sometimes we do it terrible. Would you help us recenter our faith, not on how much we have, but on you, Jesus? We're desperate for that. As we come down and we take a piece of bread, remembering who we are found in you. Would you help us in those areas that we feel like we're not overcoming, in those areas we feel stuck? Would you help us as we take a a piece of bread and we believe in what you have done and who you are and who we are in you, and would you change us by faith? Help us trust you when we don't see and it feels like the storm's And the waves are crashing around us all the time. Help us be patient and trust you in the midst of those things. And help us in the midst of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ to have faith. Help us believe even when we don't believe. We ask that you do it and we pray in your son's name. Amen.